Psalm 22, 1 through 11, 16 through 18, and 25 through 26. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there is none to help. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The word of the Lord. Well, we are in a sermon series called praying our emotions where we've been looking at various psalms and we've letting them show us teach us about the deepest most painful emotions in the human experience and how we can pray them what we can learn from them by listening to them and this morning we are going to be talking about the emotion of shame Yay! Some of you don't look excited. Come on! Whew. Oh, so I probably don't have to tell you who this is, but uh, just in case, this is Brene Brown. She's kind of a pop icon nowadays. Uh, she's a researcher out of the University of Houston. She did a really famous TED Talk a number of years ago, and then since then wrote a number of best-selling books, even has a Netflix special. Uh, but her area of expertise is vulnerability and courage and shame. And this is how she defines shame. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And she goes on to say, it's an emotion that affects all of us and profoundly shapes the way we interact in the world. Now, I think she's being a little bit, um, she's being nice in saying it just, it profoundly shapes the way we interact the way in the world. I think she's being a bit timid there. I would actually go as far as to say this, shame controls us. 
And if you don't believe me, think about this. We will do anything to avoid feeling shame. We will numb ourselves to it with drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, or food. We will distract ourselves from feeling it with endless amounts of TV and entertainment and video games and online social media, um, with busyness, with exercise, with hard work. We will lash out in contempt and hatred. We will even kill to protect ourselves from feeling shame. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing me say this and you're like, whoa, hold on, Matt, crazy. I may have been embarrassed a few times in my life, but I don't know if I felt shame like that, and I certainly don't think it controls me. Have you ever felt defensive? Have you ever had the experience where somebody suggests that maybe you got something wrong, that maybe you're not right in what you said or what you did or that you made a mistake, that you're somehow less than perfect and you suddenly bristled and you found yourself saying, well, hold on, hold on, you didn't understand what I meant. Okay, you don't understand, like, I'm not that kind of person, or that's not what I meant when I said that, or, you know, what you, what you really just, you're missing a really important key information to understand why your judgment of me is wrong. And how dare you, con- you know, judge me when I know what kind of person you are? Anybody ever do that? I have. All right, that's called being defensive. What do you think you're defending yourself against? Our shame controls us. But there is good news this morning, my friends. God's word offers us the way to freedom. There is freedom from the control of shame in our lives. It is not an easy road to walk. But if we are willing to walk it, let our deepest shame become exposed, we can be set free. Would you like to find out how? All right, well, let's do that by looking at three things. We're going to look at the lie of shame. Next, we're going to look at the truth of shame. And lastly, we will see our freedom from shame. The lie of shame, the truth of shame, our freedom from shame. All right, first, the lie of shame. Well, as I've said, we're looking at the Psalms. And in in case you didn't know this, all of the Psalms in the Bible are songs They were originally sung, and in many synagogues and churches around the world today, they are still sung to music. We actually have some songs in our repertoire that are actually psalms, okay? So because they're songs, the language in the psalms is very poetic, right? They're, They're driven by imagery, and so David uses some very evocative language to describe his shame here. All right, so you see, he starts off right out of the gate. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels rejected by God. If, you know, shame is the feeling of being unworthy of love and belonging, what's the opposite of love and belonging? It's rejection. So he feels rejected by God. Next, he says, I feel like a worm. He feels gross, disgusting, despised. Right? Something that if, if people really were to see you for who you are, shame says you're, they'd be like, ugh, gross. He feels mocked, like his life is a joke. Right? Next, they say, it, it's so painful. It's so visceral. He describes it as being like stabbed in his hands and feet. 
It's affecting his very body. And lastly, he says, it's like he's been stripped naked and everybody's now dividing his clothes up as if he's already dead. He feels exposed. He feels disgusting, worthless. Shame really is one of the most painful feelings that we have. But the question we need to ask is, why does David feel this way? Well, what, what does he say? He, sa- he's, he says that there are these dogs. That's a, that's a euphemism. Not, he's not saying actual, like, barking dogs. Uh, meaning, a company of evildoers encircles me. Okay, so there are a group of people who are out to get him. They are trying to do him harm. Physically, politically, even spiritually. Now, there's a whole... If you know the li- anything about the life of David, we could just kind of like throw a dart at, his, at the timeline of his life and you'd probably find a time where he felt this way. There, David had no shortage of enemies. Twice in his life, his life was being pursued by someone that he deeply loved and cared about. Okay, so this, this was not, a, you know, a, an uncommon occurrence for David, unfortunately. But regardless of the specific circumstances, the reason that he feels this way, the re- what has elicited this profound feeling of shame is what? Something that other people are doing to him. He's being attacked. He's being assaulted. He's being abused. And that's actually very common. One of the biggest, one of the reasons that we will feel shame is when someone does something to us that communicates that we are unworthy of love and belonging. When we're abused, when we're oppressed, or assaulted, or attacked, or betrayed. Right? That, and it, it, there's some logic there, right? That if, they, if, if what they're doing communicates that I'm unworthy of love and belonging, it's, it makes sense that we begin to wonder, am I? As some of you know, one of my day jobs is I work as a therapist at a counseling office here in town. And I'll tell you, from my own experience and from the experience of other people I've worked with, that it is a really common experience to have someone come into your office who's had an experience of abuse or assault of some kind, and they ask questions like, why me? Why did that person choose me? Why did that happen to me? Or why didn't I see it coming? What's, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I stop it? Do you hear the shame in those questions? Like there's, that happened because there must be something wrong with me. Now, maybe some of you have that story yourselves and you're coming in this morning. So I'll, I want to be very sensitive to you and recognize that I, I realize that this may be really hard, some difficult ground for us to be walking together on. But I ask you to remember, we're on the road to freedom. So stick with me, Okay. But these aren't the only reasons that we feel shame, okay? We will also feel shame when we make mistakes, when we, you know, do something that we know wasn't right, or we get caught in doing something that was not good, right? There's there's plenty of reasons that we will feel shame. But the thing that they all have in common is it involves other people, right? Shame necessitates other people being present. As, As the, the famous Christian psychologist and writer Dan Allender puts it, shame is the trauma of exposure. We feel like a light has been flipped onto us, and suddenly everybody can see that flaw, 
that makes us unworthy of love and belonging. Okay? Now, there are two kind of camps of response to shame. One is what I'm going to call the traditional religious response. Okay, so some of you are from non-Western countries, somewhere parts of Asia or the Middle East, right? And you'll, like, you'll know what I'm talking about. Or some of you, you grew up here in the U.S., but you grew up within a community that was much more traditional or much more religious. Okay, and in these kinds of communities and cultures, um, what, what tends, we, they, we tend to have, those cultures tend to have a communal mindset, okay? Right, that there's a, the, the, we're, more, we're us before we're I, Right? And the needs of the community tend to uh, pr- get prioritized over the needs of the individual. Right? And so in those kinds of cultures, yours, because you, the individual, are a part of us, your shame becomes our shame. And so the community re- reacts to your shame. Now, this can look a lot of different ways. Sometimes, if somebody does something to you that brings shame to you, we, the community, react by attacking the person who brought it. Right, this is kind of the logic behind honor killings. I don't know how many of you knew this, but we just remembered not that long ago the anniversary of 9-11, which many say was an honor killing. Okay, the other response will be what we might call victim blaming. You, something happened to you, or you acted in a way that was different than what the norms and expectations of our community are, so now... You have, we, you have experiencing this shame, and so what do we do? We have to ostracize you. The, your shame is threatening the community, so you are now cut off from the community. Right? I'm sure for those of you who are from those kind, or have been a part of those kinds of communities, you probably can think of a time where you saw that happen. Right? No, whoop, you've, you're experiencing shame, you're, you're out. Okay? Now, the other response is modern Western or what we might call secular response. Now, we as secular people, most of us are kind of in that camp, we are far more individualistic, right? We kind of put the need of self right up there with the needs of the community. And we think of, we kind of like, first I'm an I, then I'm a part of an us. That's right, if you want to think of it that way. Now, Western secular culture has really reacted to traditional culture, right? We have, and rightly so, said, hold on, wait a minute. If somebody is assaulted, if somebody is abused, if somebody is oppressed, like, it's not their fault. And they shouldn't feel shame for that. Or if somebody is different in some way that they can't help, they shouldn't be made to feel shame. Right? And that, actually, that checks out in God's word. All right? And God's word agree. And actually, the reason we feel this way is because of our roots in Christian thinking. Um, but, you know, God's word says that the responsibility of abuse of oppression, of, a, of assault, that all entirely lies in the hands of the abuser, not in the hands of the victim, okay? So we're right in thinking that, but we kind of take it all the way, and we now, there's this kind of operating assumption that, okay, there, okay, if that, if it's illegitimate, right, for the victim of abuse, of oppression, of assault to feel shame, that means all shame is illegitimate. Shame is always misplaced, right? And so you should never feel shame. Actually, if you read Brene Brown, she kind of says that. She's like, shame's never really helpful. doesn't help, right? And we, we all have the seeps like, yeah, I shouldn't feel shame, right? We, I don't want to feel shame, but 
we kind of end up speaking out of both sides of our mouth, don't we? Because on the one hand, we always say like, yeah, I'm, I'm worthy of love and belonging, absolutely, and I should never have to feel shame. But when we see somebody, you know, an, somebody, another leader comes out with allegations of sexual misconduct or abuse of power, or somebody says something publicly that's very offensive, what do we do? We lash out. We cancel them. We say, you know, I disavow any connections with those people or anybody associated with them. You know, we lash out and, and criticize. W what are we doing? We're shaming. So we kind of end up with this two-way message of like, I should never, ever have to feel shame, but shame on you. Right? We're, we're, we, don't, we don't quite know what to do with shame. <laughs> now, in either case, okay, in either case, one, both reactions are just that. They're reactions. Neither is actually listening to the shame. And operating under both of those reactions is an assumption. It's the assumption love and belonging are conditional. But is that what David says? What does David say? David, while wrestling with this feeling of like, I feel rejected by God. But he then goes back and says, but wait. You, God, are the one who took me from my mother's womb and made me trust you from when I was a, a baby. On you was I cast at my birth. What, what's he saying? He's saying, but I feel forsaken by God, but I belong to God. And he loves me. And that's always been true. You see, David understood something better than most. Love and belonging are not conditional. They're gifts. Especially the love and belonging that comes from God. They, are always, they always have been and always will be gifts that you can't earn. So that's the lie of shame. The lie of shame is that love and belonging are conditional. But that brings us to the second part, the truth of shame. Now this is the part that we really like, especially as secular people, we kind of go like, mm, hold on, because we're like, okay, I'm with you. Love and belonging are not conditional. Yeah, I, I'm down with that. Everybody is worthy of love and belonging. That's, we're tracking with that, but wait a minute. There's, again, when we, we suggest that maybe there is an element of truth to shame, we tend to bristle, right? We tend to go, oh, so is, is there? Is there something about shame that's telling the truth? Well, David kind of hints at it here. He actually says more explicitly in other psalms the truth of shame. But here he just, he just kind of hints at it. What does he say? He, again, he's wrestling through and he goes back and says, but hold on, in you our fathers trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. What's he doing? Well, he's going back to the story of God, the story of God's people, and he makes this connection between putting your trust in God and the absence of shame. To really understand the truth of shame, we have to go back to the story. And if we go all the way back, way, way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the very beginning, before Genesis chapter 3, there was no shame. The world was 
perfect, harmonious. Everything, everywhere, everyone was in perfect harmony and beauty and what the Bible calls shalom. We had an open, face-to-face relationship with God, open, vulnerable, loving relationships with one another and with creation. But then something happens in Genesis chapter 3. Human beings believe a lie. The serpent comes and tells them a lie and says, you know, God's holding out on you. He told you not to eat that, the fruit of that tree because he knows that if you do, you'll get this special thing. You'll be like God. Right? And so they, they believe the lie that God is holding out on them, that they couldn't trust him, and they acted on that lie. And what happened? Well, it says in Genesis chapter 3, the moment they ate that fruit, they put their trust in something other than God, and they acted upon it. What happened? The eyes, their eyes were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And what did they run and do? They went and ran and tried to cover up their shame with fig leaves. You see, friends, shame entered the human experience the moment we trusted in something other than God to provide our deepest needs. And that is still true today. From that day in Genesis chapter 3 until this day, every human being is born with the predisposition to trust something other than God to meet our needs. And we will trust just about anything. We will trust our power, government. We will trust our intellect and our education and our know-how. We will trust wealth and our accumulations. We will trust our good looks or, our, or fame or accolades. We will trust just about anything other than God. But here's the thing. When we put our trust in something that is not our creator, inevitably the thing that we have trusted will fail us. And when it does, it exposes our, what the Bible calls, sin. Our idolatry. Idolatry is when we put something that's not the creator in the creator's space. Or place, I should say. We put something that is created by God in his place and inevitably it fails to deliver and we feel shame. Now, please hear what I am trying to show you and not what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I am not saying if you have been a victim of abuse or assault or oppression or betrayal that, well, you're a sinner too, so you had it coming. That is not what I am saying, okay? If that happened to you, if anything like that, and I'm sure it's something to varying degrees has happened to all of us, okay? That, has no, that says nothing about you. It says everything about them. And the reason that they did that was because of the sin in their heart. What I am saying is that same sin that it was in that, the oppressor's heart, it's in our hearts too. And if you really sit with the shame that you feel, if you sit with it and you feel it and you examine it and you follow it, eventually what you will come to is a place in your life where you trusted something other than God and it failed you. I'll give you a personal example. 
when I was a kid, I had my fair share of bullies, and I can think of a few instances that were particularly painful. And when I think back on those instances, I feel a lot of shame. Now, here's the thing. Those kids, they did that because of the sin in their heart, and they shouldn't have done that. It was wrong, and I, don't bear, and I sh should not feel shame that they did that to me. But the reason I feel shame is because deep down, I was trusting in the approval of others more than I was trusting in the approval of God. And that got exposed when they mocked me. And so I feel shame. What is the lie of shame? The lie of shame is that love, belonging are conditional. Really, they're gifts. But the truth of shame is that we are all deeply flawed. Our hearts are bent away from trusting God, and we will trust just about anything else. So that brings us to the last point. Freedom. <laughs> you ready to be here? How do we get free of this? I mean, if we're all literal, if shame comes from our sin, the the disposition not to trust God, if that's the root of it, and we're all born with it, how do we get set free from it? I hope for those of you that have been coming here for any length of time, you're like, you know exactly where I'm going with this, okay? Because a thousand years after King David wrote this song down, King David's greater son quoted it from the cross, this is the psalm that came out of Jesus' lips when he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus didn't mean it figuratively or poetically. He meant it literally because on the cross, Jesus was rejected by God the Father so that you and I could be accepted. Jesus Christ didn't figuratively have his hands and feet pierced. He literally had his hands and and feet pierced by nails, his head pierced by thorns, and his side pierced with a spear. He wasn't, he didn't feel mocked, he was mocked. He was stripped naked while Roman soldiers divided up his garments. He was exposed for the entire world to see. And why did he do this? To deal with the root of our shame. On the cross, Jesus Christ put to death the root of our shame. On the cross, Jesus Christ exposed our shame, showing that if that is the price of our sin, we are far, far worse than we ever want to admit. And at the same moment on the cross, Jesus Christ shows us that the love and belonging that we have from God the Father is way, way greater than we dared hope. Friends, we don't have to be afraid of our shame anymore because what the cross tells us is that, yes, we are as deeply flawed as we feared we are. In fact, we're probably worse. And God loves us and we belong to him and he welcomes us in and he put to death our shame by the blood of his son. Friends, if you are looking for a way to freedom from your shame, there is only one road to that freedom, and it's the road of the cross. 
And it's not an easy road. Because it does mean letting Jesus shine his glorious light on our shame. It does mean letting him expose, yep, I really, my heart really is that broken. It really is that turned away from my creator. I will trust just about anything before I trust God. But the good news of the gospel is that while we are being exposed on the cross, Jesus Christ took away the trauma. It's safe. The love and belonging that we're, that we're so desperately in need of is already ours. What is the lie of shame? The lie of shame is that love and belonging are conditional, but they're not. They're gifts. The truth of shame is that we are deeply, deeply flawed. We will trust anything other than God. But our freedom from shame is Jesus who put to death the root of our shame on the cross. Now, some of you are very practical people. And you're hearing all of this and you're like, this is great, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And that's okay. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm going to help. All right. I'm going to give us three simple steps. So just take this with you in your pocket as we go forward into this week. Three steps. How do you begin to address the shame in your life? One you got to acknowledge it. You can't be set free from something you're not willing to look at. You, we have to be willing to look at it and acknowledge, yeah, I feel shame. Yes, I'm cons- I feel like it's controlling my life. Yes, and this is how it feels. Step two, we interrogate it. Ask yourself some really deep questions. What, am I, what lies am I believing Shame entered the human experience because we believed a lie and it's, ha- it's still happening every day. We believe a lie, we put our trust in something other than God, and then we experience shame. So what lies am I believing? What, what elements of the shame are lies? If you've been a victim, your, your shame is misplaced if you feel that the thing that was done to you brought shame to you. No. There is, that doesn't mean your shame is entirely, entirely illegitimate. Maybe the shame that you're feeling is connected to something that you put trust in that wasn't God. So interrogate your shame. And as we do that, we then, the last step, bring it to Jesus. He knows it's there. He sees it better than you do. And he's washed it clean. He set you free. Let me pray. Oh, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that your love is so deep and so broad and so wide that you knowing how truly bent and broken that we are, how deeply flawed we are, and you know it, you see it, you see how our flaws wreck our own lives, how our flaws wreck the world we live in and the lives of others, those around us. You see it and you have compassion on us and love and you were willing to pay the highest price imaginable in order to set us free so that we could receive again the love and belonging that comes from you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we can receive this gift today, right now, regardless of who we are, regardless of what's happened to us, regardless of what we have done in our lives, no matter who we are, where we're from, you have welcomed us to to yourself. By the blood of your son, thank you. And it's in his name and for his glory's sake I pray these things. Amen.